work uh, in, in the word. Uh, you're at work here. And we want to hear from you, Jesus. We thank you that you're, uh, that you're alive through your word. And when you uh, enable uh, Etzin to clearly communicate the things you've placed on his heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Happy Sunday. I feel like it's been a long time since I had a chance to be up here and share, so it's fun to be back and have that opportunity. Um, we're talking about joy this morning, uh, which is kind of an important topic for us to talk about in the middle of everything that we're dealing with as a country, um, as a world. And so um, we're going to go through it. We're going to go through the book of Philippians, which is a book about joy. Um, but before I get started, I wanted to um, just mention a couple of things. One is, I thought Matt McCarter just kind of knocked it out of the park. And so in his honor, I decided to start growing a beard. And, um, <laughs> and my wife said, um, I don't really like beards. <laughs> and I said, but this is what I'll look like. And she said, well, you know, but Chris also knocked it out of the park. So what are you gonna do? Are you gonna shave your head? And there we go. So um, she, after I showed her this picture, she said, it's a really good thing God let you keep your hair. <laughs> um, rejoicing in the Lord. So Paul gives us a command. He says to us, I want you to rejoice, and I want you to rejoice always in the Lord. And when you come to that verse, at least for me, when I first came to that verse, I said, I don't know how... I'm going to follow that command, because it's given as a command. It's not a suggestion or an alternative or, a, or an ideal. It's actually a practical command that Paul gives us. Um, and, you know, there's good days. There's days when you get promoted at work or you get to move to Alaska like we did four years ago or, you know, something great happens, and that's an easy day to rejoice and follow that command. But then there's days when your child's sick or uh, one of your children is wandering away from God or... Uh, someone close to you dies, or, you know, you just, the list goes on and on. There's real life. And how do you, how do you follow that command on those days? Um, or in those months, you go through a season when you just feel like you're struggling with your relationship with God. Um, so Paul gives us kind of a foundation, a way to uh, build towards being able to be obedient to that command. And that's the book of Philippians. So we're going to go through it together, uh, just sort of take some little pieces as we go through the book and begin to understand how to build a foundation of joy into our life. Before we do that, I wanted to mention a couple of things. One, what joy is not, so we don't get confused. And then number two, the kinds of things that steal our joy. So what joy is not? Um, joy is not success. So when we become successful, um, it doesn't mean that we're going to have joy. And it's a confusing thing. We know there are a lot of people who think that the way they're going to have joy is to be successful. And then they arrive there and they realize none of it has, has happened like they wanted. Uh, and they, these are true for all these other things, for wealth, for achievement, for health, for fame, for power, for control, uh, for knowledge, and uh, for likes on your posts in today's social media world. Um, things that destroy joy, and these are things that I, that I struggle with. You may have your own list. Uh, the number one on my list is self-righteousness. I have this desire to have check boxes 
And if I check off all the boxes, I know that God loves me and I can go to sleep happy and not worry. So, you know, did I kiss my wife in the morning before I left for work? Check. Um, was I nice to my children? Check. Um, did I do a good job at work? Check. Um, was I kind and gentle to everyone? Check. And I've got a long list. You know, did I feed the dog? Did I clean the house? Did I? And the list just gets longer and longer. There's always another thing on the list that you forgot to put on it. Um, and what happens is, as you start to follow that list and you develop that uh, relationship with God where it's just a list, a checklist, you lose your joy. Um, selfishness, a uh, huge joy stealer, uh, because as you take things, you lose the ability to enjoy what, what uh, other people are and what they, what they can bring to your relationship with, with you. Worry, big one, usually about 3 a.m. for me. So I wake up, some problem that for some reason didn't bother me the day before just starts churning in my head uh, and I start thinking about it and I can't go back to sleep. I don't know if you all have this, but this happens to me. Um, and it steals your joy because you're, you're thinking about that. And God has been teaching me that worry is a lack of trust in Him. Um, so I actually have this thing, I was talking to Emily about this, I have this thing now that I do whenever I get something like that that I, I'm I'm holding on to that I can't let go of, I actually imagine in my brain taking it and putting it in God's hands. And I just say, okay, you're gonna have to worry about that now and I'm just gonna stop worrying about it. That seems to help me. Uh, grumbling, there's a lot of grumbling at work with all the masks and all the things we have to do at the hospital. Um, there's a lot of grumbling uh, going into a patient's room who has uh, who has COVID, knowing that they could be exposed, there's grumbling. Um, and all of that steals the joy. Uh, in fact, you can, you can actually, some days you can feel the difference in our whole department because there's no joy in our department. Um, impurity, you know, when you're not walking after God, it's hard to have joy. Gossip, of course, the problem with gossip is as you gossip, you start to worry that people are gossiping about you. Um, so you steal the joy from everyone else and also from yourself. Envy, I wish I had, I like there. Um, we, this one is a big one uh, for all of us. I wish I was skinny like, um, I wish I had cool hair like, I wish I had that car, I wish I had this, I wish I had that. All of it steals your joy. And then bitterness, which is sort of a lifelong struggle for some people um, who've been through uh, something that was really difficult, steals your joy. But I want to focus on the foundation of joy. So we're going to turn and look through the book of Philippians and see kind of the instructions that Paul gives us about how to have joy in our lives. Um, and as we build this foundation, when we get to the end, we'll see that as we, as we follow the, the laying of the bricks, so to speak, in our foundation, we can start to see that command to rejoice always as something that, that we can actually do through Christ. It begins with Philippians 2.5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that attitude was the attitude of being God in heaven with all the glory, all the power, and saying, I'm going to give this up, and I'm going to go to earth. And I'm going to be born in a stable, and I'm going to live in a world that has no soap, that has none of the modern conveniences that we think of as necessary for life. I'm going to have diseases, no antibiotics. I'm going to go through all of that. And then I'm, that's not all I'm going to do. I'm also going to die on the cross uh, for you. 
And Paul begins his topic of joy by saying, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we'll go through some of these. Joy through unity. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. <laughs> Philippians 2.2. 2. So um, whenever I deal with unity, I have this vision in my mind. Uh, when my kids were a little bit younger, my, I walked into the room where my oldest daughter and her younger sister were having one of those knock-down, drag-out sibling fights. And literally, they both had a hold of each other's hair, they both had long hair, and one of them had pulled the other one with by their hair off the top bunk, and they were, they were ready to find some way to murder each other. It was just, you know, chaos. And so I walk in because of the screaming, and I, as I walk in, I'm thinking to myself, I'm a failure as a dad. We already know this because nobody would ever let their children do this. And so I tried to calm them down, and I remember yelling at them and saying, you two are behaving like monkeys. Well, unfortunately for me, that, that phrase continues to this day. And whenever with the topic of their sibling rivalry comes up, they always say, yeah, and dad called us monkeys when we were, when we were young. <laughs> but it's interesting because uh, as, a, as a parent, and you're dealing with sibling rivalry, unity is such a difficult thing to achieve. Um, because there's so many undercurrents and issues and slights they give to each other. Uh, so I started teaching them this thing that we need to give up our right to be right. Um, if you want a relationship with someone, your right to be right can't be the most important thing. You have to give it up. You have to say the relationship is more important than my right to be right. And if you notice on social media, the right to be right is held up as the standard, right? You type out your angry message about how somebody else is wrong, how you hate their political party, or how you dislike this, or whatever, and then they send theirs back, and you both have the right to be right, and there's no relationship. Um, so if you want unity, you have to give up your right to be right. Joy through obedience. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not, in my, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Philippians 2.12, first part of the verse. Whenever I talk about obedience, um, I tell this story, and some of you all, because I've, I've spoken before, have heard this story before, but I'm going to tell it again because it's such a good story. So um, my sister and her family were visiting a game park in Tanzania, uh, where I grew up, and um, as they came into camp, they kind of got everything out of the vehicles, and there was a shoreline where there was a river bank, um, and so everybody wanted to go down and see the river, because there were animals on the other side, it was exciting. Um, and so they put my uh, nephew, Les, about 12 years old, in charge of the camp just for a couple of minutes while they all went down to the river bank. And he had a slingshot, and they're like, you can shoot monkeys if they, if they show up. So. Um, after everybody had seen the riverbank, they all wanted to come back to camp and start lunch. And so it was his chance now to go down and see everything down on the riverbank. So he went down and uh, went kind of to the water's edge and then turned around and he wanted to shoot monkeys if there were any monkeys in the tree. So he's looking around, looking for monkeys. And my sister suddenly had this like, you know, mother's sixth sense and she turned around and there was a huge crocodile inching out of the water toward him. 
And she said, a thousand things went through my mind at that moment. Did I scream? Did I run to him? What should I do? If I startled him, would the crocodile attack when it sensed it was about to lose him? And so she said, I, I just felt like what I need to say was, Les, come here right now. And fortunately for him, he was obedient, instantly obedient. And he didn't even know why. He had no idea that crocodile was right there behind him until he got to his mom. And the crocodile went back into the water and she told him. And so often obedience is like that. We don't know all the things that are the reason why God is asking us to do something. He's just asked us. And we don't have no idea what protections he's bringing uh, to, to protect us or what the reasons are behind it. He's just asking us to be obedient. Joy through discipleship. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Learning from intentional relationships. Um, my dad was a... Um, amazing person in terms of discipleship just because his life was open to everyone to follow him. If you don't know, he was a missionary in Tanzania. And um, I remember seeing his impact in many different ways as far as that's concerned. But my best friend, Safi, who I grew up with, um, we had a conversation as adults, and this kind of showed me the impact of my dad's life. Uh, Safi said, you know, your dad had a huge impact in my life. And I was like, oh, how is that? And he said, yes, um, we watched him and we realized that he never beat his wife, which where I grew up was the norm. It was part of the culture that you were supposed to keep your wife in line by beating her, um, which sounds crazy, but that's, that's the reality in, in the village life that I grew up in. And so Safi made the decision that that was not gonna be his marriage. Um, and actually, interestingly, his whole family, his brothers, um, and all of their marriages all decided because they had seen this example that they wanted to follow, that they would have that, that same pattern in their marriages. And you can imagine the impact that had on a whole community. Joy through prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know, um, it's interesting um, Prayer, um, we often wonder why do we need to pray? God already knows everything. Why do we need to tell him about the problems in our life or, or have that, that interaction with him? Um, but prayer clearly signifies our dependence on him. It's a way of expressing to him, it's only because of you that this can be. Um, and it's only because of you that we can grow or change. Uh, so prayer is that relationship where we're saying to God, we are putting our dependence on you. Um, my favorite story about prayer, uh, my dad, when he got married, had a best man. His name was Sam. He was not a Christian. Uh, they both went into the Second World War together, um, which is kind of amazing. Um, they actually were trying very much to catch the end of the war because they didn't want the war to be over before they got into the military. <laughs> Sounds crazy. Um, but that's what they did. Anyway, uh, he wasn't a Christian, Sam, and my dad started praying for him. Prayed for him for a long time, for about 20 years, for him to become a Christian. Um, and they still kept in touch a little bit, but they, my dad was in Africa and Sam was in the United States. And finally, Sam became a Christian, um, which was uh, a miracle all on its own. But it isn't the end of the story because shortly after that occurred, as a separate event, my brother, Walter, uh, my older brother, wrote my dad and he said, by the way, while you're out there in Africa doing your missionary thing, you need to know that I don't believe in God anymore. I've rejected all of that stuff. I've realized you're wrong. You're just wasting your time in Africa. Um, and I just wanted you to know. 
Yeah, so it was devastating. And I remember when the letter came, um, back then we didn't have you know, communication like you do now. So it wasn't like we could call him or have any interaction with him. Letters were, took about a month and a half to get back and forth between Tanzania and, and um, the US. And so my dad started fasting, fasting and praying. And he went for a week without eating. Um, and I remember we almost got used to it as a family that when we sat down at the table, dad would join us, but he wouldn't eat. Um, and I remember one morning he came and he sat down at the table and he asked mom for breakfast. And we were all like, oh, what's happened? Why is he, why is he eating? Um, and so I asked him, I said, dad, why are you eating? And he said, God has told me it's going to be okay. So I don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, and I remember that like, like I, I can remember the pattern of the table and the glass and the bowl that he had. It's like really burned in my, in my brain. Strangely enough, just a little bit later in that summer, my brother went to visit Sam. It turned out Sam lived in Arkansas and there was something in Arkansas my brother wanted to see and Sam gave him a room to stay for, for a couple of weeks and Sam led him to the Lord. He became a Christian. And it was just such an amazing story about my dad sticking with prayer for many years for somebody that he cared about. Joy through meditation. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. <laughs> so my brother, after he became a Christian, came out to live with us for a year in Tanzania, and he was on fire as a Christian. And he was memorizing scripture. And so he wanted me to memorize scripture with him, which I had not done before that. Um, and so I have a little book where I've written all my verses out. I actually still have the book. You can't read the handwriting. You still can't read the handwriting. Um, <laughs> but um, I have the little book. And those verses became a foundation for my life that I memorized with my brother that, that year. Um, and he was very intentional about getting me to memorize the verses with him. He would ask me, each day, what verse I was going to memorize that day, and then we would write it out together, and then he would quiz me at the end of the day. Um, so it really built a foundation in my life um, that, that I could depend on. So you may say, well, I can't memorize anything. That's too hard for me. But you can definitely dwell and meditate on Scripture. You can get a verse and put it on your fridge or put it in your car or, or keep it in your billfold. I've got a couple of verses in my billfold I pull out every once in a while. Um, Meditating on Scripture, on God's Word, will build a foundation of joy for you. Joy through gentleness. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Philippians 4, 5. <laughs> be as gentle as you want God to be with you. Um, it's hard sometimes to be gentle. Um, and I, you, maybe you would say, no, no, you should be gentle all the time, but... If you've had seven kids like I've had, you'll understand when I say it's sometimes it's hard to be gentle. Um, I didn't think I had a temper until I had children. Um, <laughs> and then I discovered, wow, I have quite a temper. Um, Emily would, would attest to that, actually. <laughs> um, and so um, gentleness is something that you really have to be intentional about. Um, and I would say I probably have managed to become a little more gentle over time. Um, when I think about people that are gentle, we had a cook that worked with us. His name was Paolo. Um, and he was, 
I would say the most gentle person that I ever was around uh, growing up. And actually, everyone that, was, that knew him considered him to be the example of gentleness in so many ways. Um, and he would, he would treat me well. So like one day we were trying to churn butter and I was trying to join him and help and I spilled it and made a big mess and I didn't churn it right so the butter wasn't forming and uh, it was just generally terrible. And then because I got frustrated, I just left so that he had to finish up all the work. And it would have been, like if I had been on the other side of that coin, there would have been like some words said and some laws laid down and none of that. He was just completely calm gave me what I could learn, didn't worry about the stuff I couldn't handle at that moment. Um, and then another time, he taught me a little bit more, um, but mostly he taught me about what it means to be gentle. Joy through generosity. I am amply supplied, having received what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Paul was writing to the Philippians and acknowledging that they had been generous to him. To be generous, to be like God, be generous. Because what is God if not generous with us? And so if we want to be like God, we have to choose generosity. Um, it's interesting, you know, we all say it is better to give than to receive. Um, however, when we actually get into real life, we start thinking, I would like to receive such and such. Um, I would love to receive a free vacation to Hawaii. That would be joyous to me, and I would be very happy about that, right? So there's, we all have a list of little things that would give us joy, give us joy. Um, but I would say, and I think many of you all who've walked with Christ would, it would agree with me, that if you have poured your life into someone, given your life to someone, and you see them have a healed marriage, that's a joy that lasts for a lifetime. That's a different kind of joy that you can have always, um, that you can depend on, not a momentary joy. Joy through perseverance, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Philippians 2, 16. Perseverance, the steady pursuit of God, creates the character of joy. So there was a time when my mom was very sick when we were in Tanzania. She had a, a disease called amoebic abscess of the liver, which is a, a bug that gets in your liver and causes a big collection of pus. Um, she was sick for a long time. She almost died. Um, it was actually a really difficult time in our, in our life, in our, in our family. Um, as she managed to recover from that and got the right treatment and started to recover, she was told, you're not allowed to ride in a vehicle on bad roads. Um, that would be bad for you. You need to be um, in a, an environment that's still and, and smooth. Well, that's all we had. So she wasn't allowed to go to church on Sunday with my dad because everywhere you drove, you had to go in that situation. So she had to stay home, um, which she viewed as... Um, a uh, little bit of a disaster because she really wanted to be involved in the ministry that dad was involved in and help him and all that kind of stuff. And I remember uh, holding her hand and walking to, to the local uh, church that was next to our farm um, on Sunday mornings. And the reason I'm telling the story is because you couldn't change her intention, her perseverance. 
So although she had to give up all of that ministry, um, when we walked into the local church after the very first Sunday, I remember on the walk home, she said to me, they don't have any youth work. All the, all the kids, including me, were sitting back there and you don't have anything to do. We're gonna start that next Sunday. So next Sunday we show up and um, she gathers them together and says, after church, we're gonna do such and such. Um, she was gonna have us um, memorize verses out of a Bible. Well, then she realized none of the kids had a Bible. So she gave us, I remember this, she gave us four, if, I don't know if you all know what a mimeograph is, I'll just use the word copy, four copied single space sheets of scripture. And the deal was, if you memorized that, you could have a Bible. The next Sunday, after she handed out those sheets, I remember one of my friends, his name was Dickie, showed up, and he had the whole thing done. It was just incredible. He just stood up and said it all. Um, and she, was, she had brought a Bible to show them an example of what she was going to give away, assuming that, you know, like for me, it would take a couple of months. And so she gave him the Bible. Um, as his gift. And so she started a youth work um, where we would uh, stand up front and search and find verses really fast. I think in the U.S. it's called Soldiers of the Bible or something like that. Um, but she started a youth ministry. And then other pastors would come and visit and see it, and they said, well, we would like to have this in our church. Would you come to our church and do this? But she couldn't because she couldn't travel. So she hired Dickie to go and teach the other churches. Um, and amazingly, that youth work spread throughout the entire country. It became a countrywide uh, thing that, that happened. And astonishingly, now, if you go back to Tanzania, all the pastors in Kiela, where my parents were missionaries, went through that program. Perseverance. Joy through humility, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have this attitude to be like Christ. I remember my dad sitting on a chair talking to people who were poor, who had nothing, who had borrowed money from me before and never been able to return it, and yet he would give them the time and be humble with them and listen to their troubles. My mom always said he was a little too generous. <laughs> Joy through suffering. For to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And I would say the deepest joy flows from suffering. Um, it's not something we want. We don't ask God to suffer. Um, we don't seek out suffering. But it is the Christians that I have known that have the deepest joy and the deepest walk with God have been through persecution. Uh, my sister um, has been through persecution in Ethiopia. Um, and she, when you're around her, you have this sense that she just has a, a bubbling, unstoppable joy um, that really is um, contagious and amazing. Um, she was arrested. Her family was put in prison. Um, the soldiers showed up at her house and arrested them, and she never had anything that was in her house ever again. So her wedding album, all of her dresses, Everything that you can imagine, all of her keepsakes, everything, gone. Um, and yet, one of the most joyous people I've ever, I've ever met. Um, and lest we think, well, she was a missionary, her firstborn died on the mission field. And yet, she's the person I think of as showing what joy is. So, when we say, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I will say rejoice. 
What we're saying is that there's a foundation and you have to walk after God to have that joy. So when we say we want to have unity, we realize we have to give up uh, who we are. When we want to have obedience, we realize we have to be willing to walk after God even when we don't understand all the reasons. When we want to have discipleship, are we willing to spend time to learn from someone who's walked ahead of us? And are we willing to bring someone behind us who's, who's new? Are we willing to say to God, I'm dependent on you, I'm going to talk to you in prayer? Are we willing to say, I'm going to spend time on your word and I'm going to let it fill my life? Are we willing to be gentle when what we'd like to do is lay down the law? Are we willing to be generous with ourselves? Are we willing to persevere, to keep our eye on the goal, on the mark of walking after God? Will we have this attitude in ourselves of humility? And are we willing to suffer? Let's pray. I pray that the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray for each one of you that your lives will be filled with joy, the kind of joy that comes from the Lord. And I pray for our community that you will be a light of joy to all around you. I pray this over our church. I pray it for each one of you. In Christ's name, amen.